You're listening to the Deep in the Tank podcast with Chris Kidwell and Sam Glover. Sam, uh, 2020 has been quite the year, hasn't it? Oh, definitely. Yeah. In fact, it really feels like not two separate years, but that there was a pretty clear uh, dividing line back in mid-March between the first two and a half months of the year and the rest of whatever this has been that we've lived through so far. Um, what I think we'll try and do today is sort of just recap the year, maybe talk about just what happened, some things we liked, some things we didn't like, uh, and you know, maybe discuss a couple other things at the end. But uh, first of all, I guess the first question is, what in the world do you remember from the first two and a half months of this year? What, uh, what pre-pandemic and pre-podcast, by the way, uh, sort of sticks out to you as far as what you remember? That's a great question because I'm struggling to remember anything. Was there a lectureship this year? There was. Fried Hardeman had its lectureship in early February. Was I there? You were. Oh, you, you were. Um, yeah, it's that. It's, it's kind of how it feels. Golly, it's so the lectureship was positive. Um, excuse me. Good grief. Um, even if I'm unable to remember literally anything from it, it that's the lectureship has been a bedrock of my. Uh, my year, every year since I've been a student at Freed and since I long since graduated. So that's something. I remember everyone kind of being in a tizzy over how uh, COVID-19 was just another flu and how we needed to chill out and it was racist to get overly worked up about it and things of that nature. So it was kind of funny to see that kind of escalate out. Yeah, I uh, I think, you know, the, the, the start of the year sort of portended uh, some of these things to come because we started the year thinking we might go into World War III. Uh, we yeah, started the year right, as, that's right. at, at, on January 1st. Uh, we were as close to going to war in Trump's presidency than at any other time uh, in the past four years. Uh, you know, it, who was it with Iran uh, back on January 1st? I, I believe remember. it was Iran, yes. Yeah. Or Iran, uh, if you prefer that pronunciation. And at the same time, reason. the entire country of Australia was on fire, or that's what it felt like anyway. Um, you had all those wildfires down there just take out huge swaths of land. Um, and that that was just, you know, early January. That was like two weeks into the year. Uh, then after that, um, Kobe Bryant passing away was a pretty monumental thing I, I want to say that was late january early february uh and even though uh i i'm assuming you're not you're you're not just a huge nba fan right uh, it's not really my thing yeah i'll I, watch I enjoy, basketball but yeah. as i say i enjoy it a little bit more but you know he's um he's something of a cultural icon i mean he uh he was the face of the nba from michael jordan to lebron james sort of that gap uh there in the really just throughout the 2000s um and you know he's one of these personalities that sort of transcended the game and had his hand in a bunch of different things and you know it's uh he was seen as a role model uh to a lot of people and he he passed away uh in, in very tragic circumstances you may remember a, a uh i want to say a helicopter crash uh, took him and his daughter as well as uh all the rest of those who were on the helicopter at the time. Um, right. And in the background, we sort of kept hearing about, uh, you know, this coronavirus out of China and, you know, wondering if it was going to spread, wondering what was going to happen and wondering what the response was going to be because, you know, we knew something was over there, but we had no idea it would turn into this. Um, and then mid-March hit. And I remember on a Wednesday night, getting out of services and this would have been on like the 11th or the 12th, maybe uh, of March getting out of services, getting out of Bible class, learning the NBA has canceled its entire season. The NHL would do the same the next day. And I got home after making a stop at a Walmart neighborhood market to pick up some things. And I told Kelsey, I said, 
because uh, she was about to go on spring break. Her spring break would have started the next week. I told her, I said, I do not think you're going back to school after spring break. I think they will keep you home. I'm not sure if they're going to keep you home the rest of the year or not. But sure enough, those two years or those two weeks turned into the rest of that school year. Um, and by the end of the next week, you know, Kelsey and I knew people personally who had been hospitalized with the virus. And so it, it's uh, that sort of first two and a half years really does feel like a blur because, I mean, uh, stuff happened. Lives were more normal back then, but stuff happened. And it uh, it's hard to remember because the past, I guess, 10 and a half, well, nine and a half months have felt so different and so wearisome compared to everything else. Right. And uh, you made a slip of the, uh, the tongue there, uh, unintentional and ultimately inconsequential, but you said two and a half years. And I think that really speaks to the effect because obviously, you know, it hasn't been two and a half years. That's ridiculous. It has been less than a single year. But there's been this joke of, like, goodness, like, it feels like this year has lasted a decade. And part of that has been, again, excuse me, that that lockdowns, uh, stay-at-home orders, things like that, all of this has made life, in many respects, slow down to a crawl for a lot of people. And I think that's going to be one of the most noticeable effects of the pandemic and kind of the thing that we all look at the most from this year is how slow parts of life felt. I, uh, I'm going to, uh, that's something I do want to touch on just a little bit later as far as the long-term effects of what we've just been through. Uh, cause there are certainly going to be effects of the virus that outlive the virus. At least that's the hope. If not, it means we die of the virus, but, um, you know, once we hit mid-March, things changed and, uh, you know, all of a sudden we went from not thinking about just a lot of different things to, I mean, even now we're still wearing masks anytime we go out, basically. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot that's changed. Uh, but like I said, we'll touch on that. Um, I was going to say, I think the next thing to talk about sort of two different directions, um, you can talk, we can talk about the economic fallout and we had that, what was it? $2.3 trillion stimulus bill that initially passed where, or, you know, you got so much per adult and so much per child, as long as you're making, I think it's less than 75,000. Um, right. And it started to taper off after then odd yeah. up to nothing after a hundred thousand. Right. And that's, uh, that's something that, uh, you know, it, we talked about that to death. And so I think just a quick statement or two on it will suffice here where, you know, not a huge fan of the government spending money, but if it's going to spend money, I'm perfectly fine with it, putting it back in the pockets of the people from whom it takes it. And so I, uh, you know, we talked about it on the show. Kelsey and I were say we were able to take that money and put it towards, you know, debt. Uh, I've seen a few jokes uh, from people online, how with that stimulus bill, uh, and with potentially this next one, which is currently being held up in Congress uh, to try and get it increased to $2,000. Bernie Sanders apparently is going to filibuster the veto of the uh, of the defense bill until there's an agreement to increase the stimulus bill to $2,000, um, which that's interesting. But I've heard people joke about both bills that they're going to take the money they get from the government to pay their taxes. And, uh, you know, I mean, yeah. got to do what you got to do, I guess. Right, right. Yeah. And, I mean, the debates on whether lockdowns and the like were the right thing to do are still live discussions. I've heard two very different perspectives from people that I respect uh, a great deal. Uh, Tom Woods, of course, uh, I wouldn't say he's famous or well-known, but he's well-known within certain libertarian circles. He's been avidly against lockdowns, whereas uh, Curtis Yarvin, uh, who previously was known as Mencius Moldbug, took a, a, the approach of the lockdown that we did was bad because it was very ham-fisted, but other countries that did a much more total, like, no, we're actually going to have a lockdown and 
It's actually going to be a lockdown that has a definite start point and a definite end point seems to have worked better. So I do think, though, that the economic impact is going to be hard to overstate. Uh, There are going to be people who are set back for years by this, and that's just in the United States, a relatively well-off country economically, and I feel silly kind of saying that because that's an understatement. Uh, there, well, go ahead. Go, go ahead. ahead. Sorry. No, I I was closing my thoughts. So by all means, go ahead. Um, the the, you know, I want to stay there for just a moment because I don't know that we're going to feel the full uh, brunt of the of this year uh, yet. I think it's going to take a little while because there are some stores that have been harmed enough, some uh, companies which have been harmed enough uh, that they'll. Uh, they might not close their doors down, you know, right now or next month or anything, but it may have harmed them enough to where they eventually, like they eventually have to close their doors as a result of this year, um, as a result of the economic fallout. Uh, but that sort of touches on, you know, that those perspectives on the lockdown where I think this is a situation where an extreme position would have been better than what we actually did. Um, you know, the extreme position of don't do anything, don't have a lockdown. To be clear, it would have killed a lot more people, and that's not a good thing. Um, it would also, however, have made this thing last a lot less time than it has. Uh, we Had there been no lockdown and people lived their lives as normal, um, this would have been, in theory, a lot shorter because people would have been passing it along a lot quicker. Now... To be clear, I'm not necessarily advocating for that. Um, it would have overwhelmed our medical system, uh, a medical system which is still struggling with being overwhelmed even through more manageable numbers. Um, but it would have been shorter. And at the same time, the extreme of just lock it down totally would have also, in theory, maybe not in practice, but in theory, made it last a lot less time uh, to the point where, you know, s- you know, we talk about the economic fallout. It, it would have saved, I think it would have ended up saving more lives. I'm certainly no medical expert, but that's sort of the inclination I get that if you lock down, uh, if you lock down everything, say, I don't know if you did it for two months, I'm just spitballing here. It would have probably saved more lives than what we've done. Um, but at the same time, um, at the same time, uh, those businesses, you would have had basically two types of business uh, businesses that can afford to keep their doors shut for two months and businesses that can't um, and the ones that can't wouldn't have made it. And that's not okay. Uh, that's not a good thing, but by and large, you know, you wouldn't have this sort of strain because there are some businesses that can afford to have their doors shut for two months, but that can't afford to operate at like 20 or 30% of what they were doing uh, for eight and 10 months. And so, a, I'm not sure which position would have been preferable. Um, I know which one the government should be implementing, uh, uh, given that, you know, both of us are big fans of a very hands-off style of government. I think we would probably lean toward more toward one than the other, but, um, just as far as handling it itself, putting aside the government is pointing a gun at my head for just a moment. Um, I, I think a more extreme position probably would have resulted in a better outcome than this. The problem, of course, is I don't know that. Like, I don't know that for sure. I'm just spitballing. Certainly. Um, and so it's something where I can sit here and say that, and it turns out, you know, oh, if we did lock everything down for, you know, say two months, that could have turned out to be catastrophic in a way that I, I can't necessarily predict. Right. Um, and so, uh, but I, I wonder what, I guess what I'm getting at is, I hope we've learned something from this as far as how to handle it moving forward, because this, this is likely not going to be the last time we deal with this. Um, you know, we've, we've sort of talked, not us personally, but we've talked about, you know, bioterrorism before. And, uh, you know, I think sometimes that gets a little fear mongered, if you will, but it, it is a very real possibility and it's a very real possibility that we have something like this again in a year or two. Right. I mean, it's not a terrifically likely possibility, but it's possible. Um, and if it does, I wonder 
what we will have learned from this. And I, I, you know, as someone who's sitting here having gone through it and I'm still not sure exactly what the right answer is. And I, I'm, I'm a little pessimistic about that, but we'll see. I, uh, I mean, States have done various things. Countries have done various things. You've had some success stories. Uh, New Zealand, they're back to doing basically everything like normal again. Uh, at least that's the understanding I get. They've got packed, uh, they've got packed stands full of fans at like rugby and soccer games. Um, but you know, obviously, America's still going through it. Uh, UK's dealing with potentially a new strain. Like it's uh you know, it, it's something where different different situations and different approaches have led to different outcomes and not exactly sure which one was objectively correct. I'm not sure that we'll get to know that. Well, obviously the correct answer is the one that you like because it, it, what has been most interesting is to see the way that the arguments have changed or the arguments have just flown in the face of whatever is right in front of the person at the time. Regardless of what is actually happening and regardless of the position that you take, it's, it's been interesting. It has been interesting to see what, uh, what this has revealed about the way that a lot of people work through data and work through principles. Uh, for instance, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus, but uh, I I know a fellow in uh, in a town that I used to go to a lot. I'll just say that uh, say it that way, so as not to throw anyone under the bus. And over the last two years, this person that I know developed a a liking for marijuana in a state where using marijuana recreationally and even medically was still illegal. And you could see him talk about how it should be legal, how the government has no business regulating what we do with our bodies and what uh, informed or at least consensual decisions that adults make, etc., etc. The same person, however, strongly advocated for lockdown, strongly advocated for direct government intervention and even of uh, fines and things of that nature being leveled against people who didn't abide by those things. And I, the whole time I was just sitting there thinking, you don't trust these people to tell you what to do with a plant. And yet this is what you're advocating for. And what it reveals is that these people, that people in general, and I'm not immune to this. I never want to act like I'm just above it all, but we really only think about principles and things of that nature to a very limited extent, unless we are pressed to do otherwise. Well, it's something where we've had a lot of time to reflect on it. Um, Certainly. I I think one of the things that I've noticed and, and sort of, you know, in talking about the year and talking about the pandemic, I don't think we can, avoid talking about the rhetoric of the year too and discussing it. Uh, and social media has at certain points this year was just toxic, just awful. Um, you know, and hopefully we haven't contributed to that, but it, I mean, it has truly just been a terrible place to exist more so than usual. I mean, it, it's already a pretty low standard for, uh, for social media, but this year in particular, uh, in combination with the, um, some of the brutality that we did, talked about earlier, uh, some of the uh, racial incidents that we've we talked about a lot this year, frankly, because it deserved our time. Um, combined with it being election year just made the rhetoric awful. Um, my experience has been a lot of that has toned down at least a little bit. Now, I'm not on Twitter as much as you are, I don't think. And so you probably have a different experience, hopefully, hopefully not substantially different. But, um, you know, the past couple of months, especially since the election ended, um, the the rhetoric has really toned down. Uh, and, and to be clear, I'm not necessarily talking about from uh, political leaders or anything like that, because their rhetoric is almost always going to be pretty destructive. Uh, I, I mean, more so from, you know, anecdotally, pe- people that I know. Uh, people I know personally, people I have a relationship with, um, to where they're 
I'm not sure if it's because they care any less about the issue or if they understand that, you know, talking a certain way online does not get you your desired outcome. Um, you know, posting a link about masks, uh, either for or against it is not going to, uh, is not going to convert hardly anyone. Uh, neither will yelling at them proverbially. Um, and it's the same with black lives matter. It's the same with, uh, it's the same with political candidates. Although that, that one, I'm not sure is going to go away anytime soon to where that rhetoric, like we, I don't know if it's become, because we're so tired of talking about these things. I don't know if it's become because we've become more thoughtful about these things. Uh, but that rhetoric, which was, I mean, I don't know how you can describe it as anything other than toxic to start the year, uh, has really, really become uh, a, a lot more toned down, at least in my experience. And, and that's a good thing. I, I think that's a good thing. Uh, at least, you know, as far as I'm able to tell that some of that rhetoric has been toned down because you know, it, it, I mean, you couldn't even have these discussions because of the rhetoric about some very important things like, you know, the, the issues of race relations in the U S uh, the issue of, of, you know, how to handle this pandemic. These are very important things, even if we're not necessarily the ones deciding policy. And so there are discussions that need to be had and, you know, the first part of all of this was really, really difficult uh, in large part because we couldn't, at least in my experience, uh, and again, this is just anecdotal, in my experience, there was no, there was zero progress in the discussion area. In fact, there was a lot of regression uh, just down to who could be the loudest person in the room in a way that I think is less true now than it was, say, eight months ago. Right, and I would add a few things. Uh, social media toxicity is largely a choice. And before you say, well, no, duh, I, what I mean is that people that get bogged down in Twitter toxicity and they say, well, I just I don't understand like how you can do this or you can do that. Here's my secret to not having a bad time on Twitter or any other social media website. Take notes, people. This is very complicated. For every one very serious account that you follow, follow two or more complete joke accounts. Follow an account that just posts pictures of cute cats. Follow an account that posts... I, one of my favorite accounts that I look forward to seeing every day on Twitter is a flag mashup bot. It just takes flags from different countries across history and just pushes them together and says, hey, this is a new country. Or just follow accounts that just post really goofy stuff. Another one that I really like, every word did 9-11. It's a bot that just takes, goes down the dictionary and just says, word, did 9-11. It's funny. It's ridiculous. And it keeps you from being bogged down in poison. That's how you have a good time on Twitter. Yeah, I, I, I mean, something that I'll touch on a little bit more, especially because I, I, I'd like to talk about just sort of our personal experiences with this year. Um, but do that in just a moment. Um, but levity, uh, injecting a little levity into your life. If you live on social media all the time and you're not sort of curating, uh, as you mentioned, your follows on whatever platform, um, and sort of having a well-rounded social media diet, if you will, uh, you, you're going to make yourself miserable. Um, you know, we, we talk about, all the time people talk about how the news generally only reports, you know, bad things. It doesn't really report good stories. Um, you know, you, you don't, you'll hear, you'll see stories of, I notice uh, the city of Nashville put out some body cam footage of the bombing that happened on Christmas day. And of course we've, we're praying for all those who were affected by that. Thankfully no one other than the perpetrator was killed in it is my understanding. 
but there's body cam footage of the police basically going around to people, especially homeless people, and saying, hey, you're not in trouble, but there's something serious going on. We need you to move. And people will talk about how, well, the news never reports that story. Right. So if the news never reports a story, then why do you subject yourself constantly to all of these negative stories that you see on the news, right? You're going to make yourself miserable. Um, you know, it's, uh, you, you can control what you dwell on. You can control what you think about. Um, what is it? Philippians chapter four, verses eight and nine, uh, talks about, Paul talks about dwelling and thinking on things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, right? It's, uh, it, it's something where, especially in a year like this, you have to be more picky about that. I, I'll be a little bit more personal about that in just a little bit, but you know, it, it, it's, it's something where you, you've had some people and, and frankly, some of it is because you had people who were working every single day, go from doing that to being at home all of a sudden. Um, and what are you going to do when you're at home for eight hours uh, extra a day? Well, some people are going to choose to be on social media that entire time. And that's tragic. Um, but, you know, it's it's something where you can sort of change up that diet. I, I definitely can appreciate the idea of injecting some levity uh, into what you consume online just generally. Um, my, my favorite one is, uh, is uh, there's one that will take anything that has eight syllables and any Wikipedia entry that has eight syllables across at least three words, I think, uh, or at the very least where the last four syllables uh, don't get sort of interrupted, if you will, uh, and turn it into a banner a la Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Okay, that's good. You're going to have to send me that because that. that's the kind of thing that I want in my life. Yeah, there's... There's, there's a few others I follow on Twitter for that exact purpose. Um, there are some that are specific to me uh, or it's specific to my taste. So like uh, I, I enjoy, there's one called hockey images that precede unfortunate events. Oh yes. And it's, it's, it is exactly what you think it is. Anything with the title X that precedes unfortunate events is just, Oh, that's always going to be just forever in my heart. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it, it's something where, and, and this is sort of what I wanted to, to get to you about, sort of the heart of uh, what I wanted to get to you about. Sam, uh, not on a personal level, more on a societal level, and maybe even a congregational level, what have we learned about ourselves this year? A lot of people, I don't think, learned much at all, which is going to be sad. But at a societal level, I think we learned that we have a much higher tolerance for authoritarianism than we realized or appreciated. Uh, we have a much, we have a much greater tolerance for people who we put in charge who can't seem to get their act together. But also that we're much more resilient than, as a whole than we might have realized. And we're also much more willing to just reach out to people and say, hey, it's okay if you're miserable right now. Like, yeah, we get it. It's miserable. I'm miserable too. And so we're, we're capable of more compassion than I think we might have realized. I, uh... I tend to agree on all points. Um, we like the authoritarianism if it benefits us, of course. Um, if the authoritarianism had decided against a spending bill, then we would have been a lot less okay with it, I think. <clears throat> but, um, you know, with that compassion, I, I've seen people uh, in more limited means because I'm not out and about as much as I used to be. I've not stepped foot in a hospital in like 10 months now, which as a preacher is jarring. It's just absolutely jarring. But, you know, I've seen people offer help, come through on help. Uh, 
be willing to do things that I probably have exceeded my expectations. Um, you know, that resilience, you know, you've, you've seen, at least I've seen, you know, examples of small businesses survive, not because of the payment protection program, because a lot of small businesses didn't get in when the money was still, uh, able to get got because a lot of large corporations took their fair share of that. Uh, but a lot of small businesses were able to survive because, you know, customers, you know, people in the community enjoy shopping there enough and enjoy having that presence in their community enough to where they made a point of reaching out, made a point of, you know, maybe doing holiday shopping through them specifically this past year, or uh, made a point of, you know, eating out at the local mom and pop restaurant, as opposed to McDonald's who doesn't need your money to survive. Not saying that you're wrong for making, you know, different decisions. Certainly I'm not speaking to the, ethics of that only to the sort of motivation for doing those things or it's like you know these these people are a part of our community and they're hurting and i can help them just by being a patron like you know let alone you know donating to other worthy causes things like that and you know like you said nobody nobody wants this right every most people are miserable um most people have been affected negatively, substantially by this. Uh, if I either... may interject. Go ahead. Go ahead. Nobody but Gretchen Whitmer, Gavin Newsom, and Andrew Cuomo want this. Yeah. I, uh, and now that, now that Whitmer is, uh, now that she's not, you know, the vice president to be, um, she might not want it either. That was a very nerve wracking, like 30 seconds when I saw that headline of like, she's trying to like vie for that position. And then her, I was, Oh yeah, no, that's never going to happen. Yeah. Because generally po- people don't like politicians who act like their mother. And yeah. that's not unique to, to uh, miss Whitmer either. There are plenty of politicians men and women who work under the delusion that they are your mother. And I despise all of them. Yeah. Uh, Elizabeth Warren is the one that jumps to the forefront of my mind there. Um, but absolutely. But, you know, it's something where we're, we're miserable or people generally have been miserable this year. Um, you know, one of the discussions surrounding the lockdown is what sort of effect is this having on people's mental health? Because the answer is, is that it's not good. Suicides are way up. Um, you know, you've got, you've got, uh, obviously, you've also got the experience of those in nursing homes who have been sort of in that. Uh, I mean, you've got people who have not left their rooms uh, in nursing homes for 10 years or 10 years, goodness, 10 months who haven't had people able to come and see them either generally. Right. Um, and if I may interject, just as a point of comparison, in one month, Japan had more deaths by suicide than occurred due to COVID across the entire year. Now, Japan is a unique case because Japan already has a historically high suicide rate, mm-hmm. but death by despair is a drastically underestimated and under-discussed part of the costs of the lockdowns. You know, and, and that's something that, you know, has to factor in the next time that we make a decision like this is, you know, okay, we saw how this affected people's mental health. Um, if we're not going to, if, if, we're st- if the decision is still made to go under lockdown, there has to be more concessions. Uh, made toward that. And so, you know, I, I, I don't, you know, like you said, I think people have done a good job of recognizing that. Uh, people have done a good job of recognizing the need um, to reach out more. Uh, as much as we talk about social media and the toxicity of it, I've seen some, I've seen plenty of good things on social media and I know anecdotally of plenty other instances of people reaching out to other people in a way that they might not have done before. You know, you mentioned with uh, telling people it's okay that they're miserable and we've already talked about helping people out. Sometimes it's just simple as, you know, a phone call or, 
Facebook message or a Skype or, or whatever a video conference, just, you know, to, just to check in. Um, and so, you know, I, I know at our congregation, um, especially after probably the first half of this pandemic, when we realized that this was going to be a longer term thing and, and, you know, we had some, we'll say discussions over things and it became clear that, you know, people had been dealing with a lot through all this, uh, congregation suddenly started getting much better at communicating with one another through the, through, you know, various means. Um, and that's a good thing. Uh, you know, it's something where I think it's, it's done that. I, it, I also think we've learned, and I'll get to this on a personal level too, but we've learned the things that we need and the things that we can't, or that the things that we can live without a little bit better than we did before this pandemic. Um, you know, and again, I don't mean to necessarily turn this into an ethics conversation. And so if you miss any of these things like crazy, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not trying to browbeat you or anything, but you know, uh, movie theaters have been largely empty for the past 10 months, right? Um, you know, there's one exception when Tenet came out, a bunch of movie theaters carried it. Kelsey and I went to see Tenet in theaters. Um, I'm excited to watch it at home so I can actually understand the dialogue. But it's, uh, have you, have you seen a Christopher Nolan movie in theaters? Never. You didn't see the Dark Knight Rises in theaters? Nope. Oh, okay. So the way he mixes his audio, he mixes the sound effects and music on top of the, on top of the dialogue. And so like, it's almost impossible in a movie theater where everything is loud to hear the dialogue. Like you can't understand. I didn't understand half of what they were saying. I think the movie is very good. And that's only based off of being able to hear maybe about half of what they were saying at best. Now, for clarity, are you referring to The Dark Knight Rises or to Tenet, Tenet, Tenet as something that Tenet. you think is very good? Uh, well, the Dark Knight they're... Rises is a a flawed and frustrating movie that I still immensely enjoy. Yeah, that's how I feel about it. Um, Tenet's very good. If you liked Inception, you'll like Tenet. If you don't like Inception, you'll probably still like Tenet. I have only seen roughly 85% of Inception. Well, you've got some homework. But, uh, but, you know, it, it's something where those, those movie theaters, you know, people are starting to realize that they can have experiences at home. I mean, for the cost of taking a family to the theater, I can sit at home and watch a movie with them, like for the cost of one ticket, uh, for the cost of, if I were to take my family to the theater, once a month, which is not an unreasonable thing for a lot of families, uh, but is getting unreasonable. You know, I'm probably without food and drink, I'm probably spending $50 to do that for a family of four. Um, if I take them at night, of course. Um, if I were to take that money, not spend it on movies, and at the end of the year, just buy a big TV to go in the, uh, uh, to go in in the living room with how cheap TVs have gotten. And I know we, we bought one this year uh, with how cheap TVs have gotten. You can take that money through the year, buy a TV, sign up for three streaming services uh, on annual deals and still have a little bit of money left over uh, to buy like, you know, a box of microwavable popcorn and some two liters. Right. It's, you know, it's something where that's, that's a, that's and that's just one example, but there's a lot of stuff that we were spending our money on that you know I may still go out and do that occasionally. I've got a couple of movies I'd like to see in theaters next year. I'd really like to go see Dune in theaters when it comes out, um, and I will always want to go see Star Wars and Marvel movies when they're in theaters. But um, you know, at this point, we're talking like maybe four times a year, maybe, uh, and that's and half of those will be just me like, or me and some friends, but I'm not paying for my friends. Right. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff where I think people realized, you know, we don't necessarily need this or we can do this differently and still have the same sort of effect. I think companies are realizing this with the overhead of having an actual campus. Um, there are plenty of people who were working before this pandemic started in an office who will never go back to an office, at least at the same company. Um, 
you know, the, the overhead and just the travel expense and time involved in commuting to an office isn't needed for a lot of these jobs. Um, but this is really the first opportunity that we've had to test it. Um, my dad and my youngest sister work for the same company and neither one of them live in the same state as the office uh, of that company. Now, my dad has to be at the office sometimes, um, but they, you know, neither one of them work anywhere close to the office. Uh, Brianna works like nine hours, 10 hours away from it. And so, you know, it's something where I don't know that they would have known that before this started, but they knew they know it now. And uh, when you're able to do that as a company, you can either pay your employees more if you don't have the overhead of a campus or you can bring in more people to help get work done. Uh, You know, for and for a lot of people, if you tell them they don't have to commute to work at all, all of a sudden you might be saving them what, couple thousand, three thousand dollars a year just in travel expenses? And that's assuming the only place they ever go is to and from their office. Right. And even then you're also giving them back some time for commuting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and, and you're just making it more convenient for them. Uh, they don't right. have to deal with not just the time spent, they don't have to deal with uh traffic. I don't have to go out and like go get my coffee on the way. I can I don't have to do this and I don't have to do that. I just go to my computer that I have set up at my desk in my house where everything is set up just the way I like it. If I have to have a meeting with a camera, I put on a nice shirt and I stay seated so no one knows that I'm wearing my pajama pants and everything is fine. Well, and and the thing about it is, I'm not trying to say that, you know, working from home is strictly better in these situations than working at the office. Certainly being at an office, being on campus has its perks and being in person, um, you know, is preferable to being online for certain things. Certainly with worship, we've learned this experience in churches that, you know, nobody's real excited about worshiping at home, but you know, it's something that some of us have to do right now. Um, but with regard to, uh, with regard to the office environment, it's, I think we're learning it's not worth that trade-off is I guess what I'm getting at that, you know, you get so much back when you tell people they can work from home, uh, in exchange for a little bit of time in the office together and, you know, a dedicated place for work. Cause there's something to be said about, you know, not working in the same room you sleep, which for a lot of people, especially people closer to our age, that would be the situation, right? If you're renting out an apartment uh, and you're working a job like what we're talking about, there's a good chance that that office is in the same room as your bed. And all of a sudden you might not leave your room for 10 hours. Uh, And, and so, you know, it's something where there are some nuances to that that are worth noting. But generally speaking, I think we've learned that a lot of the stuff and buildings that we thought we needed, we, we don't. Um, and again, I'm not browbeating anyone who's really missing those things. Only that just generally on a societal level, I've, that's sort of what I've noticed out of all this is that it's, uh, it's been, you know, there's been some things we've learned about ourselves and I, I do want to make this more personal for a moment, if that's all right. Um, Cause I, I, I've got a couple of things, but I'll, I'll let you start us off if you want. What have you learned about either yourself or um, whatever this year? What sort of stuck out to you personally? I learned that if I learned just how hard it can be to get a job, if I can just be perfectly honest, I'd been getting that figured out in my own field. I guess I could say our field, uh, Chris. But um, lots of people, it was one of those, I just kind of kept hearing it over and over again of like, well, I just couldn't get a job or that sort of thing. And I kind of had that fallback of, well, maybe they're not applying at enough places or, you know, maybe they're just not applying for the right thing with it. Maybe their resume needs a tune up, something like that. But then, you know, after sending out about 50 applications 
and not ever hearing anything back. That's defeating. That's disheartening. And thankfully, I'm in a pretty good place now. I work at Undisclosed Logistics Company, and I do pretty well for myself, all things considered. But that was also because, quite frankly, they were hiring anyone that would apply. And even now they're hiring anyone that would apply for better or worse. So I kind of learned that. I learned uh, about my willingness to... No, go through inconvenient or even painful things. I don't want to get too just deep into it or beat my own chest. Sure. But I mean, uh, my job at, to start was remarkably physically taxing. I had blisters on my feet the size of quarters as a result of the work that I was doing for quite a while. And just having to acclimate to that, knowing, okay, that is something I can do. It's a while it's painful in the moment to find out, it's it's interesting to find, okay, so these are things that I'm capable of, and that's not my limit, because while it would have been remarkably unpleasant, I could have been pushed more, I could have worked harder, I could have been put under more strain and stress. I just didn't want to be. And so it was interesting to figure out the, the depths that you could plunge to without breaking, for me at least. Well, and you just got done working the holiday season at uh, Undisclosed Logistics uh, Company, and uh, you know it's it's there's a certain uh, with my dad having worked for UPS for twenty years, I sort of had this secondary experience of understanding the sort of commitment that that takes to work at one of those companies in uh, uh, in during holiday season, and so it's. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, I think, um, a lot of people in various fields sort of learn that first lesson you talked about with regard to jobs. Cause unfortunately, um, a lot of people at some point through the, early on in this pandemic found themselves without a job needing to find one. Um, you know, and obviously your situation's a little different than that, but it's, uh, it, it's, it's been tough. Um, it's been tough as far as in our field. I know a lot of congregations basically had to hit pause in their searches when the pandemic hit. Um, and so I, I think from my perspective, mine's, mine's a little, uh, mine's going to come off sounding real weird if I'm not careful. Um, I don't wish the pandemic over again. I don't wish all this that's happened over again, but when I, heard um that kelsey was going to be home uh for a couple of extra months basically i was pretty excited um because in my experience we went from barely seeing each other during the week and normally being exhausted when we did to all of a sudden i get to spend quite a bit of time with her um you know and on a family level i mentioned not you know not spending money and not doing things on a societal level, how we used to, that was very true for us on a family level. We started eating at home a lot more. We started going to the park a lot more with our boys. Uh, we started focusing on sort of the, the small things that we should have been focusing on before, but we didn't really have anything forcing our attention to them. Um, and you know, that that's been a purely good thing as far as I'm concerned, just sort of in our experience is just, being more reliant on each other than anything else. Um, the other thing for me was I, I realized, uh, you know, we talked about the, the social media thing. Um, you know, there were some hard discussions that were had with people uh, about various things, you know, church related things, family related things, all sorts of different things. Uh, and, things did get tough. I don't mean to suggest that Kelsey being home meant that everything was hunky dory all the time and that we just somehow evaded the, uh, the just awfulness that was this year. Um, we thankfully evaded job loss, but you know, we still got to experience some of the other things that so many people did this year. And it, what it made me, realize, and I think I mentioned this once or twice before, 
but that I needed a little bit more escapism in my life. Um, and so I picked up reading fiction again uh, for the first time since at least high school. And I am I mentioned to you before we got on, I, I'm reading Dune right now. Um, I hope to have that done uh, by end of day Thursday. And if I do that, it will be the 30th book I've read cover to cover this year. Uh, and most of them have been works of fiction. Uh, to be clear, I do plenty of reading for, you know, for preaching uh, and teaching and as I need it for counseling other members. Um, but I generally don't read those books straight through. There's a few that I do. And, you know, if you followed me on Goodreads, you probably know. But um, by and large, uh, I, I didn't view that as a form of escapism. Uh, and, and that's really important. It's that's been a really important step for me is it's like, okay, when things get to that sort of soul crushing, uh, way that they sometimes did this year, I felt the need to retreat into that. And it's been, it's been very helpful in that regard, just to, uh, one to, to read again. Cause I, I think generally speaking, when I read, I feel like I'm doing something constructive that isn't necessarily true of any other form of media I consume. Um, but you know, to especially be able to read just to enjoy reading has been just great, uh, this year. Um, you know, so just sort of relying on less things, less monetary things, fewer, uh, fewer things outside of the home and just relying on, okay, if it's just the four of us, that's great. Uh, we can, we can make that work. And if we need to be at home all the time, we can make that work. And yeah, you're, I mean, kids, our kids drove us a little crazy at times, but that's okay. Uh, you know, we got to spend a lot more time with them this year than probably we would have been able to spend otherwise. And I couldn't be more thankful for that. Um, likewise, we, you know, learned a lot about ourselves that we probably wouldn't have learned otherwise. And I'm thankful for that. And so it's, uh, I wouldn't wish the year over again, but I also wouldn't wish the things that we learned about ourselves uh, away either. And so, um, you know, it's been, it's been, <laughs> it's been an interesting year for sure. Uh, the impact that it's had. Um, I will be curious to see what sticks from this year and what does not. Uh, cause you mentioned that compassion, uh, that you've seen from people and I, I'm, you know, sort of echoed that sentiment. I'll be interested to see if that is a long-term thing or if that is something that, uh, sort of fades away as we get further away from this pandemic. Um, I do know that this, all right, I know, I, as far as I'm concerned, uh, this is going to be sort of the defining thing for our generation. I used to think it would be, we were the generation who would, uh, who experienced nine 11 growing up. Um, you know, at least in America, but this is the, at least in our lifetime, this is sort of the first truly planet-wide experience. Um, you know, cause you can go basically anywhere in the world and talk about 2020 and have something in common. Right. I mean, you know, get six or seven years out. Uh, some of the things we mentioned earlier in the year, the Australia wildfires and Kobe Bryant passing away, people are going to care about that to varying degrees. Some won't care about those things at all, but with regard to what we've just experienced and still at this point are experiencing with this pandemic, that's, I mean, nobody has completely escaped the consequences of, uh, of what's happened this year. Some have experienced it less than others. Some are already done with it. And some, I mean, here in America, we don't necessarily know how much longer things are going to last. Thank, thankfully the vaccine is being administered to, uh, healthcare workers right now, which I'm very excited about, but you know, it's something where this is, this is really the first planet wide experience that I can remember in our lifetimes. Um, and I'll be curious to see sort of how this is used as a point of reference moving forward. I would agree. But I also would be remiss to not add one more thing that I learned and sure. really kind of focused on. I realized, I realized just kind of how spoiled I was in a way. Uh, Chris, I don't know if you've uh, had this experience, but uh, 
up until very up until June, like the end of June, I was in a situation where if I wanted to see my grandmother, I could just drive to her house. She lived maybe fifteen minutes away. Sure. And if she was awake, she would always be more than happy to open the door and welcome me. She's always happy to see me. And most days she'd be perfectly happy to cook something for me if I had showed up, even completely unannounced. And I didn't take advantage of that quite like I should have. And now that I'm in a position where at least in theory, going to visit my grandmother would pose a risk to her. And I'm also now, I live in undisclosed location that is roughly an hour and a half away. An hour and a half is a bit more than 15 minutes. And so yeah. I've, I've learned, one, just how spoiled I was, but also how sentimental I was and am. Because now I, I relish those times that I get to spend with those family members that I didn't get to see all the time. I relish communicating with them. I relish like taking the time to call them or get a text message from them or something like that. And like you said, I wouldn't want to go through all of this again, but I'm grateful for that. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I, it's, I don't know how to follow up to that other than to say, um, you know, it's, it's, it's been tough. Uh, it's been tough. Of course, I don't live particularly close to my own family, at least my extended family, but, uh, or really anyone in my family, um, out, you know, on my side, if you will. But that's been, you know, that's been something that has been very, very, very difficult, um, for you, as you mentioned, and for just a lot of people generally, is that, you know, these, these relationships that you sort of took for granted, um, being impeded by this pandemic, uh, that's been tough. That's been tough on a lot of people. Um, I guess there's comfort in knowing that you're not the only one going through that, but it's probably cold comfort. Certainly, but, uh, especially now though, it's it is good to see more and more people though starting to kind of wake up and appreciate what they have and who they have in their lives as that's something i've had to learn to actually do myself as well well and it's you know it's something that uh i i don't know i i i can't wait for this to be all done i don't know when that's going to be um but that's, I think that's going to be one of the most exciting parts of this pandemic finishing up, you know, as far as the lockdown aspect of it is, you know, there are going to be a lot of very happy reunions um, and a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of people finally getting to see loved ones in person for the first time in a very long time. Um, and so I, uh, I'm looking forward to that. Um we are, I think, quickly approaching the end of this episode. Uh, I think next week we've got a couple of things we'll we'll chat about with regard to things that have happened. Um, you know, we've got an interesting bit of news that I think I need to read up on that's happened in the SBC. Uh, and also, we'll probably next week know what all these stimulus bills, or all these stimulus bills, what what the stimulus check payment is going to look like when it gets out of Congress because they've passed the $600 one, but they're, as we mentioned earlier, fighting over increasing that amount and looks like the defense bill is being sort of held hostage until it does get increased. I was um, supposed to have $2,000 in my bank account by the end of this week, but Mitch McConnell has to do whatever it is he's doing. Yeah, that's, uh, we'll see. Um, we will see. Uh, meanwhile, what's it like? Ten million dollars to Pakistan for gender studies? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, we should just I, pretend uh, to be Sudanese refugees so we can get more money, Chris. What could go wrong? Uh, a lot, actually. Um, 
But I, I just wanted to ask you, just as far as this year, uh, well, let me, let, let's end on a, on a, you know, we talked about levity. Um, uh, let, let's end on a, on a note of levity. Um, tell me about just, uh, on a very small level, not like grand themes or anything, a couple of things that you liked this year. Uh, I'm locked and loaded with a couple. Okay. Well, uh, being game, being something resembling gainfully employed for the first time, that was really nice. Um, secondly, getting back into Magic the Gathering, uh, for better or for worse, it was a nice financial counter to being gainfully employed again. I was going to say, it's, uh, it's fine as long as you're gainfully employed. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, so, um, there's those things, uh. Ah, goodness. There's What'd you read this year that you liked? Uh, uh, Gentle and Lowly, I'm still working through, of course. I'm working back through uh, Reading Paul with the Reformers by Stephen Chester. Uh, just absolutely fantastic book that I think anyone interested in. Pauline studies especially, but anything in the orbit of the new perspective on Paul, or just New Testament studies in general, would be would do well to read. Ah, goodness, so many... It's like asking what my favorite child is. Um, why Why would anyone be interested in new perspective studies? Well, because it has implications for how you read Paul, who is one of the principal authors of the New Testament. And I, was then, not, I was not asking that question seriously. Oh, okay. My bad. A, you're going to trigger me. <laughs> it's not like you've done a lot of study on the new perspective or anything like that, Chris. For context, I wrote my thesis and I've done more of that than I probably, I did more of that in like a two year period than I probably will do the rest of my life combined. Um, I, uh, yeah, um, I had a couple <laughs> of things. I, I, I also read uh, Gentle and Lowly. Uh, I, I love the book. I think we're going to plan on talking about that pretty early in next year. Good, good. Um, I I will probably, in fact, I like the book so much. I'm going to probably do a sermon series uh, with that book as the outline. Um, but I uh, I really enjoyed the book. I started playing League of Legends again with some buddies of mine. Uh, uh, some from free, some from the area here, and some from other places. Uh, what, what else? I already mentioned, I started reading fiction a bit more this year. Um, been reading a lot of the star Wars novels, which are way better than the most recent three movies in the Skywalker saga. Well, that's not uh, very much. Yeah. Well, and the first movie was fine. Episode seven is a fine movie. Yeah. It's perfectly good. Yeah. Um, and you know, I mean, I, I liked those things. Um, trying to think what else. I, I mean, I could sit here and talk about things that I've done that came from previous years that I've done this year. I mentioned reading Dune. That is certainly not a 2020 creation. Although I'm very excited for the movie when it comes out now. I, uh, I, I mean, I'm not through with the first book yet, and I already want that movie to exist. And so, you know, I'm, I'm pretty happy with that. Uh, but, you know, there, there have been some good things to come out of 2020. I, I, I think the thing I'm most excited for, uh, sort of in that vein, is it has given people more opportunity to be creative. Um, you know, when you're at home, creativity, uh, you know, what, what what's the old, uh, what's the old adage? Uh, limitations breed creativity. Um, Necessity is the mother of invention. Yeah, that's another one. That's that's an actual one too. Yeah. Uh, but of course, there's also idle hands are the devil's playground. Yeah. Well, you know. Uh, yeah, that too. And so I'm. <laughs> I am. I'm eager. I'm eager to see. Uh, I don't know that we've seen the full fruit of that yet, and so I'm eager to see what that's going to look like. Um, moving forward get a lot of media a lot of uh tv shows a lot of anime a lot of movies that got pushed back uh to where eventually with anime it's going to happen as soon as january uh but uh with these other forms of media 
there's going to be a point at which it just sort of boils over and just, you know, makes, we'll have a season or two that sort of makes up for sort of the dearth that we've had uh, in recent months. Sam, anything else you want to mention before we sort of sign off for the year here? Um, two things don't follow, like don't live on social media. I know you mentioned that earlier, but like, I can't overemphasize that. Like I can't state that enough. Don't live on social media. And I would just return to my like advice of if you find things that make you laugh, assuming they're not harmful, of course, hold on to those things. There are a few just better or purer joys in this life than just genuine laughter and levity. Hold on to that whenever you can, and where appropriate, make as much levity as you can. Making people laugh is just one of my purest joys in life, so go and find your ability to do that. Yeah, I'm going to sort of leapfrog off the first one there. Um, If you can't uh, restrict yourself on social media, like if you can't sit down and say, I'm going to spend... $10 a day or $10, 10 minutes a day, no more on social media, get off. Like if, you know, if this is sort of a compulsive behavior for you, if it's an addictive behavior for you, uh, cut yourself off from it. Delete your account. Don't just, you know, say, oh, I'm not going to log on. Delete your account. Like, cause it's not worth it. There's nothing on social media that is so important uh, as to be worth whatever addiction you might have to it. And people, Let's be clear. There are some people who are coming out of this pandemic addicted to social media. There were people who were beforehand, but now they are definitely there. Uh, And so I I would just sort of echo that first point um, by, by just saying, look, if, if you, if you're not disciplined enough to restrict your social media diet, you know, if you're one of these people who's going to spend, you know, an hour and a half, two hours at a time scrolling through Facebook, Or if you're, to be more specific, if you're letting social media get in the way of anything else in your life, basically, stop. Like, just get off. Um, So, all right. Well, with that, we're going to sign off for the year. We will see you next year. You've been listening to the Deep in the Tank podcast. We'll see you next time. Thank you.